Welcome to the RSP cast. I'm Matt Waldman, and beside me is my partner in crime who was doing this show under protest. Officially lodged a protest with the Podcasters Union uh, about an egregious take about macaroni and cheese. From Matthew uh, Judon. By the way, Matt, the Patriots locker room has fallen to pieces because after Matthew Judon's anti-mac and cheese take, Mac Jones came to the podium and said he doesn't like pie. It's like pie. What is happening up in New England? Things were setting up for Bill Belichick to like have the turnaround season. They were they're, they're they're suddenly the three seed right now. They could be the one seed by the time like Thanksgiving week's over. But now it's falling to pieces. Man. But could this all be a ploy? Because again, Bill Belichick probably made asked them to come up there and give those takes so that they could play up their villainous image to the rest of the league so that they control the rest of the league and say, not only do you not like Bill Belichick, not only do you not like that New England has dominated over the past decade and a half, but now we don't like all the things that are American, you know? Yeah. So I I, they have gone full heel. I mean, you remember Kraft's speech after the first Super Bowl, you know, tonight we're all Patriots and the Patriots have won the Super Bowl. To now they're being like the, the held up as like the anti-American, anti-hot dogs, baseball and apple pie team. See, there Goodness you go. Gracious, I, I, yeah. Hey, next thing you know, that guy who charged Seth Rollins on the WWE <laughs> set might be coming out to like take out Matt Jones. Or... That was, man, that was an incredible moment. Like, I, I, yeah. How does that happen? That that's that's when you definitely get over in. Uh, you, you know, I, I I used to listen to the podcast that Jim Cornette would put out. Yeah, and he'd talk about you know how he how they would get over and what it was like and like all those those flyover towns in Oklahoma and Nebraska and Kansas and some of the you know some 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 of the things that would happen when they believed what you were selling there so yeah uh, yeah so you know before we get rolling let's just get started by saying first of all you know you can find mark schofield at mark schofield you can find Scope's throws on twitter you can find his wonderful um youtube page you know with mark schofield's work there where he, he does a lot of film breakdowns and tonight he's going to be doing a tuesday night rundown of which game is it going to be with Coach Vass? Um, the Patriots defense against Atlanta from last Thursday night. Coach Vass, who we all love. Uh, I, I learned something from Coach Vass every single time he, he talks about football. Uh, we're going to be breaking down the Patriots defense. Um, he's going to be, you know, teaching everybody about saving ease and, and all that sort of fun stuff. And I'll just kind of be along for the ride. So it should be fun. Well, I, I'm sure you'll be more than just along for the ride, but, you know, it, it should be definitely be a good show. Um, and then, of course, listen, the RSP is still available, and it, the new right. RSP will be coming up in April. 150 skill prospects at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Narrative profiles on 100 players. 1,058 pages of rookie analysis. Easy to navigate. Bookmark PDF. And, you know, listen, it's the shortest book I've written in a while. But it's probably the most written content I've ever done too in, the, in that publication. It's just not just supporting public um, information. Nine hundred pages is content. Um, you know, after contact analysis, target catch and contested catch data, quarterback accuracy charting data, positional rankings, write ups for one hundred and fifty players. As I said, um, skill breakdowns take you through the entire thing, and with that, you get a post draft. You know, which is which is going to be helpful for you in 2022 when you take a look at get the 2022 one. But if you want to check out 2021s, 
and, and you know it does have a nice shelf life for you and i will be coming out with another projections dynasty projections and rankings updates for those customers um either later this week after thanksgiving either going to be friday or saturday or it'll be on the very last day of november um on tuesday the 30th um, when i collapse in a heap after the uh <laughs> after the festivities and all the football and the games after that so there we go so let's get started here with this week Let's talk about the value of end tackle stunts or any line games or anything you want that have to do with some of the trench work there. Because I was watching, you know, Ben Roethlisberger took consecutive sacks against the Chargers, you know, on a final drive where, you know, that cost them the game. Russell Wilson took four sacks off the right side of the line against the Char the Cardinals. And a couple of those sacks were on and tackle you know and tackle stunts and one of the things that just was interesting to me about that is that it, it kind of hit me that the the stunt that end tackle stunt or twist is a type of thing that the quarterback really doesn't see that pressure coming it's not telegraphed oftentimes until that pressure is literally in their lap it seems to be one of those things that it's a long developing um stunt you know in terms of pressure where you can kind of the quarterback can get complacent in the pocket until like they have nowhere to go and it's interior pressure like right in front of them because like they're you know the ben roethlisberger one of the sacks that looked like you could probably argue he should have thrown it away but it was like it stunned him so quickly that the pressure was in his face when bosa got through that you could see him literally like have that like jerk reflex before he backed up, and at that point, he just turtled because he, he knew it was too late. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a mug look or it's not like a, a slot blitz or a corner blitz where you can see pre-snap. Unless you've got the ability to, like, see where that person's hand in the dirt is. Because, like, sometimes if it's an end tackle stunt and the, tap, and the end's looping behind to the inside, they might cheat back you know, a half a foot or something off the line of scrimmage just so, to make the path a little bit easier. You know, I've seen some examples. I've written about that. One of my first articles over at ITP, I, I highlighted something like that. But you can't see that from the gun. You can't see that from pistol. You probably can't really see it under center. You'd have to really train your eyes to look there. So it's easy to diagnose. The thing about stunts and twists, especially this one where you've got that tackle coming upfield and then the end looping behind it can bait you into climbing the pocket into pressure. You know, you, you see that and you see sort of the path open and you can climb right into the face, especially if you get that sort of double end tackle where you got both guys doing it. You can really sort of get baited into climbing into the pocket. And the other thing to sort of keep in mind with like stunts and twists, they're good examples of the fact that defensive coordinators know your protection rules. They, they know what you're going to do. A, a prime example of it, Sunday, a Thursday night against the Patriots, DMPs dialed up some really good blitz looks. And one of them, they showed that mug look. And the Patriots adjusted pre snap. They took Brandon Bolden, they put him into one of the A gaps right behind the, the left guard in, in the center. But DMPs knew they were going to slide this protection to the right because of the overload look. And he knew that on the backside, the left tackle, Isaiah Wynn, with this look pre-snap is going to make what they call a squeeze call, which is he's blocking threats inside out. You know, he has to protect inside first with everybody sliding to the right away from him. 
And so what Pease did, he takes a defensive end and then he rocks the safety down into the like right on the line of scrimmage. And when the play begins, you, right before you can see Win making that squeeze call, the end comes inside first. That's his inside threat. So he blocks him. What happens? The safety then loops in behind it, and he's unblocked. Jones doesn't have a prayer because he's thinking, A, that it's blocked up, and B, he's going to be blocking. Wynn will be blocking inside out, and you get the easy sack with a free runner. And so it's important to remember, just as we get access to playbooks and we study concepts and we know routes and things like that, Defensive coordinators, they know what the guys on the offensive side of the building are doing. They know protection rules. They know how to get twists and stunts into position to get some free runners. And so, you know, between baiting you into climbing the pocket, it being hard to figure out pre-snap, and then exploiting protection rules post-snap, these can be very effective for defenses. And game situation comes into play. I mean, you know, those yep. two examples that I gave with Roethlisberger and Wilson, they're behind and they have to throw and they can't just check the ball down. You know, if you've got guy or if you've got guys where the defense knows that they've got quarterbacks who are not going to be patient and want to throw intermediate to deep. Well, the stunt is a perfect, you know, the ET stunt is a perfect one for a longer developing pass route. Um, because you're going to be able to foil a stunt if you can get the ball out quickly. That's the ideal thing. But if you're in a situation where it's like, you know, five yard passes isn't going to do the trick for you because you don't have right. enough time, then yeah, then the ET stunt falls right into your hands. And I think that that's some of the strategic things that I think a lot of football fans sometimes miss when they look at something on Twitter and they go, Ben Roethlisberger was bad. Russell Wilson was bad. Well, maybe, but what are some of the some what are some of the things that maybe fall into the 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 category of game script and strategy right. that that plays into things that are outside the control of the quarterback? So yeah, all right. So let's play a little game of who has more left in the tank after this year. And I'm going to list a number of guys. Interestingly enough, as I listed them, I noticed that a lot of them were Arizona Cardinals players. Yeah. So and a couple of and a couple of uh, you know Buccaneers that we would imagine. So let's lead off with Rob Gronkowski. More left in the tank after this year. I think he's got a little bit more left. Uh, I mean, I think the year off. I think some of the time off that he's had over the past two seasons down in Tampa. I think there's enough left in the tank. He'll never be the guy he used to be, but I still think that there's you know, a, a 30 catch season or so left after this year. So he's got some left. Yeah. I think he's got more left than that. If he can stay healthy, I guess yeah. that's the question. Yeah. And after watching him last night, you know, coming off of those five cracked ribs and to, to look the way he did, I was pretty impressed. Um, yeah. but, but again, he's probably fresh at this point compared right. to where, you know, what's going to happen after he takes a bit more of a pounding still. I'm, I like what they do with them. We've talked about, he doesn't practice much. Um, anyway, so he's he they they let him stay as fresh as he can be. AJ Green more left in the tank? I think so. Um, you know, he had a catch on a vertical route this week where he made a really nice adjustment to it, and you know that was like the AJ Green of like 2013. I mean, you get those sort of flashbacks, and so you know, I think in that offense where they have so many weapons of receiver, similar to Gronkowski, they can sort of put him on a pitch count. I think they've managed them pretty well this year. Yes, injuries are going to be a concern with them. They've been for a while with those hamstrings. But, yeah, I think he's got something left, sure. Yeah, I agree. Is it possible, you think, just as a follow-up, that can a quarterback and a receiver just be like two people who work together where 
they just don't click, even though they're both good individually. But for some whatever reason, they just can't seem to be on the same page, communicate, work well, that kind of thing. Kind of like you and me when we talk about mac and cheese. Right. <laughs> Rewind the clock three weeks to Cleveland. Odell and Baker, say what you want about those two guys. But look, they're professional NFL players. They're both some level of competent at what they do. Baker's True. one of 32 guys in the, on the planet that, that is doing this job. They could never click. And so, yeah, I mean, there are circumstances where – receiver quarterback quarterback tight ends just never get to get on that same page and whether it's a guy freelancing or a quarterback needing things to be the right way i mean there are other examples Nikhil harry and tom brady chad ochocinco and tom brady like and we talked about the brady circle of trust last week so yeah i mean i, I think that's entirely true yeah, unless you play for Peyton Manning, and if you don't do well, he'll destroy you. So it um, made play, damn it, Donald, <laughs> which is still one of my favorite moments. All right, so what about James Conner? Another year in him? Yeah, yeah. I, I, Arizona's run run game is is interesting in, in a sense. It's a little bit schematically diverse. I think people just assume Cliff air raid outside zone stuff, but they do some gap and some power, and he's got a bit of a second win to him after seeing how it sort of like went for him in Pittsburgh. And I've been pleasantly surprised with, with how he's run the football this year on some of those different designs. And yeah, I, I think he's got more left in the tank. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think that what was interesting to me was the commentary where I guess Cliff Kingsbury told the broadcast crew, listen, we were surprised at how much quick twitch he still has. Yeah. And I was thinking, this is again, the guy that plays into, Oh, He's last week's, you know, yep. take of, oh, he's in decline. He's an yeah. athletic. He's a step slower than he used to be. It's like, nah, man, you, he's playing with the Pittsburgh offensive line that was awful last year. So I, I think that, yeah, Connor looks like the guy that he was a few years ago where, or maybe four years ago now, where he was a top 15 producer at his position, actually a top five producer yeah. at his position. How about Zach Ertz going sticking with the Cardinals trio at this point? We I think we got four of them on here. Yeah, I think Ertz has more left. Um, you see how they've quickly incorporated him into that offense. Now it probably wasn't that hard to do because this is a again the, the sort of myths and misnomers about Cliff. They're still predominantly a ten personnel team, but they had been featuring the tight end a little bit more this year. They've been doing some twelve some 11 max Williams was a big part of their offense before he got hurt. So it was probably easy to sort of slide Ertz into some of the stuff that they were, that they were doing. They didn't have to sort of reinvent the wheel for him and they've targeted him in the past game, the scramble drill play this past week where they were trying to dial up the fake screen with the verticals and Ertz got hooked and McCoy got pressured. He had to roll and Ertz came right with him. Um, that was a really good play. They had a fake screen in the game as well, where they hit Ertz on the seam. So, yeah, I mean, and plus, again, where they are so 10 personnel heavy, it's not all that they do, but they do do a lot of it. His snaps will be limited, which will allow him to avoid injuries, you know, be explosive when he's on the field and has opportunities. So, yeah. And I'm a I'm a believer that tight ends are like quarterbacks in the sense that it takes a few years for them to really kind of figure out the game at the NFL level. Oh, absolutely. Then they have a then they have a athletic prime, and then just as their athletic prime is at its peak and plateauing is when their conceptual prime really starts to kick in. And I and we often see that the best athletes at tight end who finally get it conceptually at the highest level. 
and I don't mean that they didn't get it before then, but like they, that conceptual understanding of the game becomes elevated to to match their elite athletic ability. That uh, we wind up seeing them have that quote old man game, the Tony Gonzalez, yep. Antonio Gates, Todd Heap late in his career, yep. Gronkowski. You, you know, you see that they they understand how to operate in zones, understand how to work with their quarterback, understand how to really beat a linebacker who may be twice as athletic as they are right now, but because they understand technically how to get open, they can be sudden at the right points in a route and and be be where they need to be. So yeah, I think I, I absolutely think Zach Ertz has more left. DeAndre Hopkins, what about him? People seem we're down on him with the whole age thing in the fantasy realm, but I mean, he looked. I mean, good. maybe in a fantasy realm there might be some concerns. Um, again, limited target share, things like that, limited snap counts, injuries. But I think as as far as like the on the field product, I'm not worried about Hopkins at all. Yeah, me neither. And I, I like how you were kind to that segment of the fantasy audience by, you know, bringing up things that that might worry them. But but right. I'm but I'm not as kind. Yeah, I think y'all are <laughs> batshit crazy. So that's basically where I'm putting it. DeAndre Hopkins is DeAndre Hopkins had old man game when he came into the league, and he's gonna have it when he leaves. He's gonna be the Frank Gore basically of of wide receivers. He'll probably play till he's forty. Um, yep. Maybe not that bad, but you know, there we go. Mark Ingram. Uh, this one out of all of this might be the sort of tougher call um, because of the age and the position. I mean, I mean, Connor's a bit younger. Ingram's got some more miles on. You know the running back position, the wear and tear. So he's the guy I'm most hesitant about. But I still think that, look, that there's something left. Maybe it's more of a situational guy. I'm, he's obviously not the guy that Bettis was, but sort of similar to Bettis at the end of his career where he was more of a situational back more than anything else. And so I, I, I'm leaning towards that direction with Mark Ingram where he will still have something to offer, but it might not be your like every down guy. Yeah, he's the closest thing to Frank Gore at the end of his career that Frank Gore is right now. They're similar backs in the sense that neither of them were super fast. They both had terrific vision. They had great contact balance, good footwork, very savvy about how to 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 set up blocks and understanding all the different blocking schemes and be able to run them. So I think Ingram is going to have that kind of fade to his career where he'll still be useful in situational moments like you said, Mark. Antonio Brown. Now – you know, will he he could come up with some sort of certification documentation that, that, that says that, he's got a ton left that in the he's tank. got a ton left in the tank, you know. Yeah. So, I look, I, I think you know, it, it's kind of a common theme with this with this question and this discussion, which is situational usage, which is the amount of talent around him. He's not going to have to be a guy that's going to get 60 offensive snaps a game, he might get 30, you know, because of guys like. Mike Evans because of guys that they have in the passing game because of the multiple tight end looks that they use with Gronkowski and Brady, where you can sort of manage him from a pitch count perspective. But he and Brady, for some strange reason, have this connection. You know, the opposite end of the discussion we had earlier where they got him into New England for one game and Brady was like, I'm throwing to this cat on every single chance I get. And they just seem to work well together. I don't know what it is about these It's two. Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg. It, yeah. Yeah, that's a great analogy for it. So I think as long as Brady's under center and Antonio Brown is is finding snaps, he'll be productive. Yeah, and I think the theme for this overall is that 
smart football players who can give you selected high-end match-up skills yep. have long-term value in offenses where you have top quarterbacks. Now, you know, you put him in there, you put these guys in here with Zach Wilson right now, and you've basically wasted these players. Yep. You, you know, and and but if you put him in there with a a veteran, a savvy veteran who knows how to pick his spots with these guys, know, knows that he's got these guys who he can trust and have seen enough football that the effort isn't on teaching them how to be in the right place at the right time, but just to make the play. And you just kind of have a feel for everything. It's about kind of being on field with an old pro on a stage where you don't have to ask, do you know these Motown soul, um, you know, songs? And do you, and do you understand the five different ways that we could play it for an audience um, that, that most people who would gig would play it? Or do I have to teach you all that, even though you have ridiculous chops and you can like, you you have all the technical skills that, and and you know that sound great, but you just don't have that expert musicianship and experience. And I think all these guys have that experience on a level that you can elevate their reliability and productivity in those types of settings. And I think that's that's really what it comes down to with these guys. We have some news. We do. What does we that do. news? Jason Garrett has been fired as the offensive coordinator of the New York Giants. Really? Is he packing up and taking Daniel Jones with him? I think that's probably the bigger question. But, yeah, uh, Pat Leonard from uh, New York Daily News just tweeted it out um, as we were having this discussion. So we tweeted out like five minutes ago. It is currently, you know, 125 Eastern um, on the East Coast here on Tuesday. And Jason Garrett no longer has a job. Well, you know, our, you know, either congratulations or condolences, <laughs> however you take this type of thing, but that is absolutely interesting news. But yeah, I mean, I think that is, it's the larger question is, do you, you know, do you take a lemon to the mechanic and when the mechanic can't fix it, do you fire the mechanic? I don't know. Right. I, mean, yeah. I guess maybe you do at first to determine. But what's, what's interesting, again, it's, it's the realm of the hypothetical, but Will Brinson, um, tweeted out just a few seconds ago that this could ultimately lead to like the worst case scenario for the Giants. Say they string together a couple of wins here down the stretch. Ownership could just say it was all Garrett. He was the problem. We could keep Gettleman. We could keep Jones. We'll just put all the blame on Garrett and not really make any other changes. That could be like the worst case scenario. It could be. And it's fascinating because you look at this team, especially offensively, and you think, okay, well, I, you see what they were trying to do on the sense of what they were doing with personnel selection. You, you know, Evan Ingram, you would think would be good after the catch. You would, you know, Saquon Barkley's great after the catch. You, you know, you get yep. you get someone in in Kadarius Tony who's unbelievable after the catch. Yep. But at the same token, you, you, you know, you're what you're basically doing is saying, let's not take too many chances with. Daniel Jones, let's give him as much help as possible to do where you just get him the ball and and do more. But it's funny because at the same token, they they gave Kenny Galladay and Galladay, you know, basically looks like the guy what his draft capital was uh, essentially yeah. to begin his career rather than the guy who was, you know, but that that's the point, too, is because when you look at Kenny Galladay in the past, 
He was a guy that was very much protected by surrounding talent, Golden Tate, Marvin Jones, um, Matthew Stafford basically getting to target him against nickel corners and safeties who were overmatched against his athletic ability. He was yep. more athlete than technician. And now we look at him at this point, and it's like he $40 million, and he's not pr- producing anywhere remotely to that. So, yep. you know, part of that is Jones, but a, a lot of that too is – is Galladay or Galladay looking at who he's got thrown to him and going, I give up, which not, yeah. it's not right. It's not good, but it may be I mean, what there it is. There was that moment between the two on the sideline earlier this year. And so, yeah. 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 So it's, it's fascinating. So tell me, I'm going to give you four teams, Seattle, San Francisco, Cleveland, and Denver. Start with Seattle. Who's the most underutilized player on Seattle? <laughs> This one's a tricky one because that team is just, yeah, yeah, it's in a bad state right now. But can you make the case that DK Metcalf is the most underutilized guy? I mean, part of it might be the fact that look, if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, that's the guy you worry about. But still, it's like I, somebody with his explosiveness, his ability, the downfield passing game, what Russell Wilson does best as a passer, it doesn't quite add up to me. I think he's the most misutilized player. That's probably a better because because I watched him. I watched Russell Wilson put the ball literally where it needed to be in in a two big time throws, a, a skinny post and a deep post, where you know if it. I, and I understand that I'm making a very weighty comparison, but if it were Marvin Harrison or Jerry Rice or DeAndre Hopkins or you know any elite established elite receiver they would have come down with that ball because it literally hit Metcalf in the chest on the hands. And Metcalf did not use the correct techniques on those plays, and he's been dropping the ball due to that reason since he was an old Miss. And it's the fact that and, – and, and, you know, I'm not a position coach, but I study enough of these guys to tell you it's pretty obvious that DK Metcalf needs to get a jugs machine or someone throwing the ball at the numbers – and yep. have him practice going overhand or underhand, overhand or underhand, and knowing which one to do to the point that it becomes ingrained. Because when he has to make catches with certain types of targets, like the one I mentioned, and also high point targets, he'll use underhand to high point targets over the head of a defender when he's leaping that he should be overhand with. Like with all that height and the ability to utilize his reach and strength. And he just basically cancels it out by his poor technique uh, or a poor, poor approach with technique. So I don't know my, the most underutilized player. I'm going to say Gerald Everett. I know that they're using him a fair bit, but the guy is so good after the catch. Yeah. You, you know, it's, I think they could do more with him, not only in the short game. I mean, they're doing a lot with him in the short game, but I think they could get him open a little bit more on corner routes and up the seam. And I think he could be very good for them. I think he could be one of the better tight ends they've had in recent years. And that's saying a lot when you have Jimmy Graham and, um, you know, and Greg Olson, you know, at least on that team for seasons at a time, but they were at the end of their careers. All right. So what about San Francisco? Who's the most underutilized player on San Francisco? Can I just, just tap out and let you go from here? (laughs) I mean, we're going to have the same answer, but I know why you put this one in there. Okay. I, I, you might be right, but I'm just curious. Who do you, who, who, Trey Sermon. 
Yeah, I would. I would. Yeah. 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 I was going to go. I, I'll I was going to go with an alternate, but I'm good with Trey Sermon, obviously. I mean, it's kind of funny and it is obvious. I think he is. And you look at you look at this team and I think it starts with the toss play. I yeah. mean, that's Kyle Shanahan's favorite play. And what makes a toss play or makes that toss play is that you have an all world fullback in Kyle in Kyle Juszczyk. You have an all world tight end in in Warner. Actually, not Warner in in Kittle. And then you have an all world left tackle in Trent Williams. When you have those three people at the edge, and you don't even have to concentrate to that side, you yeah. can go the opposite side with any one of those three guys, you know, together. They don't have to all be together doing this. Any one of them is an advantage to your run game when they're blocking. And the fact that you can simulate creases that look like punt returns because you give, when you have creases that are wide open like the toss play gives, and you give a, a, a ball carrier a running start, it's literally a punt return. And, and that's because you don't have to, man, as a running back, you don't have to manipulate anything. You just have to, right. re, you have to see where the crease is and you're already at a running start. You don't have to change direction much. You can hit that thing hard. And so Kyle Shanahan seems to like having backs who you just hit that thing as hard as possible. And the more speed, the better, you know, yep. don't, you don't have to think you just have to run fast and, and hit it hard. And I, and so I can appreciate that with the types of, you know, infrastructure he has set up to create this. But what's so illustrative of this is the fact that the best running back on the team right now, production-wise, is Debo Samuel. Is a wide receiver. A wide yeah. receiver who was an all-world punt returner in college. Yeah. So you're basically saying Debo Samuel returned some punts for us from the backfield. Yeah. And that's what's going on. So, But when they have to run inside... Well, that's why you have Elijah Mitchell, 27 carries for, what, 80-something yards. Jeff Wilson for little, you know. And, you know, so, yeah, I think Sermon's up there. I'm going to say Richie James still is was still one of the most underutilized players. I think Richie James is a much better player than what we've seen um, in um, San Francisco. And whenever he gets an opportunity to be, like, a starter – he he's had at least a two to three games where he's blown up. Yeah. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up on a team in free agency and becomes a starter for a team. So that's my alternate choice. How about Cleveland? Most underutilized player in Cleveland. Um, those listening for fantasy purposes, unless you're playing IDP, you can probably fast forward about a minute or so. But Jeremiah Osukamura, um, I know he's coming off of an injury, but in the two weeks he's been back, Limited snap counts. He's your most athletic second-level defender. He's got such potential. Uh, I don't understand why he's not seeing the field more. I mean, he's a, he's a guy that can cover tight ends, can cover running backs. He's explosive downhill against the run. He's, he was one of my favorite players to study last year. And so I think it's JOK. I think it's a great pick. Um, I'll go with an alternate and say Harrison Bryant. Um, you know, yeah. they really want to get him on the field. Um, they, they've had difficulty doing so, but now with Odell Beckham gone, with you know Anthony Schwartz concussed, and some of the injuries to this receiving core, maybe they can get him on the field a little bit more. He's great in the red zone. To be honest, I think he gets underutilized in the red zone. I've seen a lot of tape where he's wide open and Baker Mayfield just misses him, and it's and some of it is, and I'm not just talking about due to priority of the read, but just where 
it's there and, and he needs to find it. I mean, he finds open zones very well and the yeah. guy runs pretty well after the catch. So I think, you know, it's a tough one to say because, you know, when you have Njoku, who's an all-world athlete, yep. and you have Hooper, who's a very skilled all-around tight end, it's tough. But Harrison Bryant's going to be a player for somebody, whether it's Cleveland when they lose one or two of those tight ends or if he moves on to free agency. Yeah. All right. Denver. Albert O. Oh, I love you. There we yeah. go. I, You know, I, I love Noah Fant coming out. I was a bit more skeptical at Albert O, um, but I, I think watching him last year, I know you talked a lot last year on this show about his hand placement and things like that at the catch point, seeing some of what he's done this year, seeing that Denver offense. And I know that there was like, I, I was out there saying it, the 11 personnel with Fant, it was Sutton and Hamler and Judy, like, Maybe they want to be a bit more 12. Maybe you want to get Albert onto the field a little bit more. I think he's a very nice player that is learned in the position, like you talked about at the tight end position. So Albert O for me. Yeah, and he can block. Like yeah. when they block on 12 personnel, Vance taking on the, the edge defender. Blocking, yeah. He's yeah. he or the, the the defensive back and yeah. o, and Albert O is blocking the the trench guys yeah. and doing it well. Um yeah. so yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of him. I think Caden Stearns is getting a little unutilized too, who's a yeah. free agent guy out of Texas who was a top prospect when he entered Texas but never really played to the level that you would expect him to continue to play to after a strong freshman year. But he's looking he looked pretty darn good this year and I think he's someone to grow with, but when you've got Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson, you know, those yeah. guys are vets and pretty darn good. Fire up his interception of Dak from two weeks ago. It was one of the better defensive plays you'll see this year. Yeah, yeah. So this is that was fun. College prospect to note. Anybody free Thanksgiving? Brent Keithy. Who? Utah tight end. Oh. Brent Keithy. Um, those of you who are listening that had your eyes on the uh, Utah-Oregon game uh, Saturday night, you might have seen tight end Brent Keithy from Utah who had, I think, eight catches for 111 yards or something like that. His most productive day. He is a senior. He made the decision to go back to school. Um, and I'm pretty sure he just got a senior bowl invite off. He has it. It's coming. Um, so I, I was very intrigued seeing him Saturday night. So what did I do Sunday morning? I fired up Utah tape and it's a look at Brent Keithy. Now he's very much the like move tight end, Mike Jacecki kind of guy. You'll see him a, a lot into the boundary. You'll see him in the slot. But very good route runner. He had a touchdown against BYU where he's in the slot, runs a dino post, where he like breaks to the corner, then crosses the face of the safety. And he's like, man, this is a wide receiver playing tight end. Um, Justice Mosqueda during that game said that some team that in that Shanahan, McVeigh, uh, LaFleur, you know, Kevin Stefanski realm that runs the outside zone, the boot stuff where you got the Y over or the tight end to the flat. They're going to draft him and turn him into a star. And so I did a video on him and it's up on YouTube. Brad Keithy. Um, it's, this is shaping up because I've been, as I, last week I talked about Trey McBride. I'm working my way through tight ends. This could be a sneaky, good tight end class. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Nice. Um, I'm going to say Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. Oh yeah. Six one two twenty. You know, he could run gap or zone, transferred from Michigan, very powerful back. He runs with power. This is a guy that he'll drag you, he'll run through you. 
he'll he'll knock you down. Um, very secure ball handler, really like that. And he has he's he's got decent footwork, like decent footwork. He can set you up, and he makes the most of what he sees on the field. Now, what he sees on the field, I think, can get better. Um, but he, you know, in terms of developing blocks, understanding situational football. Um, but I like what he does with his footwork to handle the situations that he's familiar and comfortable with. So I think he has a shot at being a contributor in the NFL right now. What I want to see more of is can his acceleration be better than what I saw on tape? If his acceleration is stronger than what I've seen thus far, then and his speed overall, then I could I might get excited about this guy. Um, but he at the very least. I find him intriguing. So cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I know our good buddy Ethan Young, who's at UCLA, thanks the world of him. Um, so yeah, I'm I've seen some people say, I mean, Damian Parsons, who now congrats, Damian. He's yeah, now over the draft network, which is which is awesome to see. Damian does really good work. He tweeted out earlier today that, you know, with a clip of him and saying, I'm gonna be higher on him than consensus. And does he get to RB one on some boards? Maybe, but yeah, I think there's a lot to like. Very nice. Very nice. So, um, all right. How about who do you think is a player that's in a slump or showing their flaws? And who, who is that player? And do you think those things are correctable or manageable with them? What I'm about to say might cause a thunderbolt to, to strike me from above. Um, Patrick Mahomes. Ah. And I'm I'm not really worried about Mahomes. I, I think it's all manageable. It's certainly correctable. It's but if you think back, Matt, to when we did our video of him, one of the concerns we had was, God, if he goes to a, a coach that's going to try to make him conservative, that's going to try to rein him in, that's going to try to sort of tamp down what he does, that could be a problem. Well, over the past couple of weeks, obviously they, they've struggled to figure things out on the offensive side of the ball. There have been interceptions. There have been mistakes. All the buzz about too high and things like that. Now, look, they've turned things around. I think a lot of it is is their defense has turned things around. Um, so they're right back in it. And people are saying now, well, maybe they're the best team in the AFC after all. But you watch that Dallas game. And there I counted four different moments where he's about to throw. And he's got a route that's open. But there's a defender breaking on. And the Mahomes of last season, the Mahomes of his breakout year, pulls the trigger and sticks that throw in there. But on each of those occasions, he pulls the ball down and he gets sacked or scrambles. And, and that's kind of the thing that I, it's just a little red flag in the back of my mind. It's like, is he going to tamp himself down to the point where he starts missing opportunities to make throws? that he had in years past and he had at the start of the season. Are we seeing like a wild course correction where suddenly Patrick Mahomes is going to be, dare we say, too conservative? Now, I don't know if that's really what's happening. Maybe that was a game-specific thing. Maybe it was a situational-specific thing. You know, you're, you're winning by 13, you're winning by 16, whatever the score was at the time, and you're just like, I don't need to do this. But that's something I'm going to be watching the next couple of weeks. I don't know if it's as far as, let's say, even really a flaw. But when I was watching that game live, when I rewatched it to study it on Monday, I got a little antsy about that. 
I think that's, I mean, that's quite fair, you know, and it's, it's worth, it's, it's a bigger question, you know, down the line with him that we're going to, that is going to be interesting to see, especially considering this year, I, I have to read this. I just saw this fly across my timeline. Cause I keep my, I keep our show notes on yep. my D on our DMS on Twitter. So yep. I see that this retweet from Jay Moyer, Taysom Hill is like an NFT where no one really understands what it is, but it just keeps making more money and it has a lot of value to a very specific group of people. And that's from Tej. I, 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 I saw a similar tweet about, I forget who sent it, but like it was Taysom Hill's contract and NFTs, you know, they're money laundering, but you just don't know exactly why, but you know, <laughs> there's money laundering going on. So yeah, there we go. So I, you know, my guy was DK Metcalf. So, I mean, I, and I pretty much explained why it's just, he, he needs to figure out how to use his hands correctly. And I would say the same thing can apply to Mike Williams. Mike Williams needs, you know, he had a couple of drops two yeah. weeks ago that were, that were not, that were due to hand position. And a lot of these receivers, it's like, they have to really get specific with this because one of the things that you have to understand about the game is that, you know, the, the, the narrower the margin of error, the more magnified the little details become when you don't do them. It's, you know, the difference between, you know, you teach a, you teach a kid who had either Pop Warner experience or no Pop Warner experience how to use one release technique and how to use their hands correctly on the basic level of overhand or underhand based on the waistline, you know, and you radically improve their game. They're going to be better. Now they're going to be better than 50% of the of the kids out there who were trying to play wide receiver at the middle school and early high school level of football. Maybe if they have great athletic ability, now they're better than most of the high school kids out there. But when you take a pro and say, now you need to learn how to use the overhand or underhand you know, position, you haven't learned that yet. Well, now you've just caught up to 99% of the NFL population. That's not much more improvement. And if that, you know, so you really have to start looking at things like the smallest details that matter. That's why a guy like DeAndre Hopkins wins is because he does the things that 99.9995% of the NFL population can't do as consistently in situational football and do it like it's ingrained in his game. Yeah. And Mike Williams needs to learn that. And if he does, he can become the guy wire to wire that he was to begin the season. You know, because yeah. at this point, he's playing down to. The, I, I th- I'm starting to look at players as matchup players and scheme players. And you know, scheme players are most of the NFL. You know, yeah. put them in a certain look. Give you know, give Marcus Johnson a tunnel screen. Give him a crossing route where everyone runs off the coverage and he can have a 100-yard day for you. Absolutely, and that's great coaching scheming. Kyle Shanahan can scheme players to production all day long. But when you need to like say, you know what, John Johnson's going to be covering you and it's third down and 12 and we're at the 13-yard line and we have five minutes, you know, 50 seconds left and we need to score... Ben Roethlisberger, who are you going to as your matchup guy? I'm going to Pat Fryermuth. Right. You know, that's a, you know, that, or you go to Travis Kelsey or Hopkins. And Mike Williams to me is maybe a high end scheme player as opposed to a matchup player. But in order for him to become a matchup player, 
he needs to he needs to be able to develop these skills. DK Metcalf might be the highest end scheme player in the league at wide receiver right now as a result of that. And the yeah. re, because if you I think that if you took DK Metcalf out of the game, Tyler Lockett would still be a perennial 100-yard receiver in any given week and be still a 1,000-yard player. I think if you took Tyler Lockett off the field, DK Metcalf would be um, a slightly better version of Kenny Galladay, and that sounds like a hot take. But as much as I like DK Metcalf, he's got the potential to be a lot more than that. But there, But really what's lacking is that matchup play yeah. technical skills. And and I think if he winds up somewhere else, you're going to see a precipitous fall in his game as a result of that. He's When you match him up, when you give him a scheme-specific type of thing where he works out well, he can be great at that. Like yeah. elite athletic ability shines, and now he's giving you elite production. But it's it's like putting Darren McFadden in a gap scheme. You know, and you have great gap blockers. Yeah, he can give you 13, 1400 yards in the past, but you put him in a, you put him in in schemes where he has to do a variety of different blocking things, and he has to stop and ask for directions on his right. way to the hole. So, yeah. yes, and he was an elite athlete. So, okay, so moving on. Why on earth are the Chiefs playing Chris Jones at defensive end? Just as I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fantasy player. I'm an IDP guy. Chris Jones has been in every lineup for me as a defensive tackle. And I'm thinking, I know they got the big bodies out there. They got their Vita Vea types in there and Jerron Reed and, and Nandi, but what is going on that they're ruining the production of this guy? Well, they're not going to be doing it anymore. I mean, if the Kansas City Chiefs end up making a run to a AFC Championship game to a Super Bowl, the acquisition of Melvin Ingram might be the reason why. And I know that yes. sounds a little bit silly. No. Now with Ingram, you saw on Sunday against the Cowboys, Jones was predominantly aligned on the inside and he feasted four and a half sacks. Doug Farrar wrote about it. You know, the the, the Chiefs defense is back and Chris Jones is the reason why. Well, really, I think Doug's larger point was Melvin Ingram was the reason why because Ingram's now on the edge you can kick Jones you can get this experiment move him to the edge he was a great defensive player because of how quick he was on the interior against guys that maybe aren't suited as to to pass block a guy of his athleticism and quick quickness and explosiveness so put him back there and and let him thrive and so you know I I think the experiment is over it's done it's dusted he's going to be back on the interior most if not all of the time and the Chiefs defense has turned around as a result Thank God, because it's the stupidest experiment in football that I've seen. And and to be honest, I, I'll say this. If there's a guy who's going to bring Patrick Mahomes out of the slump, it might be Chris Jones getting moved back inside in a roundabout yeah. way because now they're going to be in more manageable game situations yeah. where Mahomes doesn't feel like the weight of the world is on him. Yep. And when you take the weight off his shoulders, I mean, you see what he's able to do. I mean, heck, with the weight on his shoulders, he's still pretty – for him – to, for him to be in a slump and be playing as well. Yeah, I mean. Like, that tells you something. The, you there, know? And there he are is, two, and I agree with you that he is in one. There, I think there are two quarterbacks that have sort of broken our scales right now. Maybe yeah. three. It'll be Lamar and, and Mahomes, I think, as well, where like a guy with his numbers a couple years ago would be an MVP candidate. We're like, is, is he struggling? Is, yeah. What's going on here? And I think Justin Herbert, too. I mean, Justin Herbert has broken us in terms of like, 
you know, I did the video of him this week and that the second throw I highlighted the C, the C, the safety splitter where he throws an absolute rocket and he, you know, I, I pointed out in the video, Quincy Avery was talking about it as well. He like front strike with the front foot, doesn't throw it. And then it's just a quick upper body twist and he throws an absolute cannon. And I described it in the video as he makes his throw with good velocity. And people were like, what are you talking about? Like that, that was an absolute rocket shot. And yeah. So those three guys have kind of broken our minds, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we're going to go off the rails a little bit. We're going to have some fun here with Thanksgiving coming up. So I just was thinking last night, if circumstances required at Mark and you couldn't be with your family on Thanksgiving and you found yourself in, you know, in, you basically could have a choice of which alternate Thanksgiving day experience that you would have. I'm giving you these ones. These are very oddball situations, but sometimes we just want to be thankful for the company that we have or the food that we have. And I want to see whether it comes down to company or food sometimes. And I went to certain extremes. So, you know, which one would you choose out of these scenarios to choose your Thanksgiving? Would you split a can of beans and s'mores over a campfire or lost in the woods with Toto guitarist Steve Lukather? Would you go to a Waffle House with Tom Brady, who's disguised as a paunchy, heavily bearded trucker? Would you have steaks at Peter Luger with the, in New York City with the Pharma Bro? Or would you have grocery store hot dogs on an oven broiler in a drafty apartment with Regina King. Matt, you could probably go somewhere and make a sandwich. Um, <laughs> do something around the house, start Thanksgiving prep. Cause I'm going to go off for about 15 minutes here. Um, <laughs> this is this, this question right here is one of the many reasons why I love doing this show. I mean, not only do I get a chance to, to catch up with my, my great friend, Matt Walden in these shows being the world to be on a personal level, the creativity behind this question, because as he does each week, Matt sends over the, the, the sort of rug sheet with the questions on Monday night, usually during Monday night football. And I got this one and I got to this question and I didn't go to sleep. Like I stayed up for like an extra hour. I'm sorry. Rehearsing, <laughs> rehearsing and, and thinking through it because this is a brilliantly crafted question. Um, th these are, I'm going to say three very good, very appealing choices. Farmer bro, I'm going to toss that guy to the curb. I'm, you can you put my favorite meal in front of me, and I'm not eating. I'm not, you know, breaking bread with that dude. So it really comes down to Steve Lukather and a can of beans, Tom Brady and a Waffle House, or hot dogs with Regina King. And hot dogs with Regina King, that, that's an incredibly enticing opportunity. Um, me sitting down with Tom Brady, I. Come on, you, you'd think that would be the easy win here, right? I get a chance to pick Tom Brady's brain. I'm I'm chatting with, with Steve Lukather. I'm chatting with Steve Lukather, and this is where I really go off the rant here because, yes, people will say, oh, it's your brand, it's the Toto stuff. Kids, this is where I remind you about Toto, okay? It's not just Africa, all right? It's not just Rosanna or, you know, it, it's not just any myriad of their songs that you know um, hold you back or – hold the line or whatever, even some of their lesser known ones like Pamela, which is one of my favorite Toto songs or, you know, um, stranger in town, which is based on this like story about a prisoner that escapes from jail and convinces people in, the, in, in this town that like, he's the second coming of Christ. It's this weird story that they turned into a song. It's not even their own catalog. It's the stuff that they probably, that you probably don't know that they had their hands in. Okay. 
these were some of the best studio musicians of their era. And they had hands in things that you might not be aware of, but don't you realize that you're going to be, you know, these guys, they played with like Boz Skaggs. They played with Sonny and Cher. They played with Ringo Starr and his all-star band, Pink Floyd. But my, my, my favorite thriller, the Michael Jackson thriller album, so much of it was Lukather. So much of it was Jeff Picaro. So much of it was Steve Picaro. Steve Picaro, he did synthesizer on that entire album. And he wrote and composed Human Nature, which was something that came up when his daughter, who was like in second grade, was getting picked on by boys. He had the idea for that song. Boom, went to Quincy Jones. Then Michael Jackson got it. And then Beat It, right? Everybody knows, oh, Eddie Van Halen. He played the solo on Beat It. And yeah, that's a great solo. But what do people really know about that song? The rhythm guitar, right? Da, na, 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 na. That was Steve Lukather. That was Steve Lukather playing rhythm guitar on that track. They are incredibly self-aware of all the stuff they were involved in. You go to a Toto show, there's an interlude in the middle. Well, they'll play like 75 seconds of Human Nature. They'll play like 75 seconds of Beat It. And it'll just remind you of all the stuff they had and that they had their hands in. And then at the end of the show, you know, I saw it in D.C., we were up in the nosebleeds with the true fans that, that, that actually liked Toto. In the, the, the lower bowl, you get the stuffy executives and law firm partners from white shoe firms that are just sitting there for one song. But right at the end, Steve Lukather gets up in front of everybody says, all right, everybody, those of you that have been sitting down in the front rows for the entire time, get up because this is what you've been waiting for. And they started on Africa. And the place goes nuts because they're so self-aware of who they are. And so I would take an entire night eating beans. I don't even like s'mores. Don't care. I want to hear Steve Luker through stories. Love it. Love it. Love it. And and spot on. And I would say this. I would, um, if we had, if Steve Luther and I had a black couple of Black Star amps and, and an unlimited supply of batteries um, along with that meal, then I probably would have chosen that one, especially maybe in a couple of years as I get a little bit better on bass. Um, so that would be nice. fun. And also then we wouldn't be bear meat because we could probably scare off the bears. <laughs> Um, right. If we need to, otherwise, I think we're bear meat. So I'm, I'm not, not totally there. Um, you can just cancel out the stakes of Peter Luger. I could really care less. I don't even. The company matters more. Yeah. So then it comes down to the Waffle House with Tom Brady, or the drafty apartment eating hot dogs with Regina King, and I know for a fact that since Regina King is one of my celebrity crushes, that I would probably. I would probably be very tempted to do the grocery store hot dogs because I know my wife would find me within the matter of about 45 minutes. So yep. she would track me down if she knew I was having a meal with Regina King yeah. in, a, in a drafty apartment eating hot dogs. So um, that one, but as she said, she said, now if it were a can of peaches, I'd know I'd be in trouble. So... <laughs> So if it were a can of beaches, I would probably have to choose Virginia King in the drafty department. Um, so, but I'm rolling with Tom Brady at the Waffle House as a because I want to see him. First of all, I want to see him eat something at a Waffle House and just see the reaction on his face doing that um, because it's either going to be ultimate disgust or it's going to be that moment where you see him like like um, Tim on. Robbins out of Shawshank, literally standing right. in the in the in the stream that he's come out of the sewage and just going, you, you know, I'm just, free. yeah, I am free. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, uh, I that, mean, did you see, did you see the movie dodgeball? Yes. 
You know, at the end when, when Ben Stiller is like overweight again and he's just mowing on fried chicken and, you know, the FU Chuck Norris line. Do you think when Brady finally hands him up and he starts, you know, experimenting with what he can eat, that's how he'll end up? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Now, I asked my wife this question just because I thought it was a fun one to ask her, but yeah. I just switched the names. So, like, instead of Steve Luthker, I put Shaka Khan. Instead of Tom Brady, I put Michael Jordan. I kept Pharma Bro. And then I put, um, I put, uh, I have a blank with, I'm having a blank right now because I think it's like the jealous rage in me that probably right. is preventing me from, th oh, Idris Elba. So, I was, Idris I was Elba, literally just going to say it's Idris, right? It was Idris yeah. Elba. And she said, yeah, eating hot dogs in a, she said, eating hot dogs in a draft department with Idris Elba. Yeah, I get that. She's like, yeah, that's probably what it would be. So there we go. So um, what's the coolest thing you've seen on Instagram this week? Um, I have a, I've talked about my, my fear of flying a lot. But oddly enough, I am fascinated by aviation, generally speaking. And so there, there's a Twitter account that I follow. Um, it's aviators zone. It's one word aviator zone. And they have cool videos from like pilots, like in the cockpit, they have cool videos of landings. They have cool videos. Like I, I, I was showing this to the kids, the, the airport at St. Martin, right. Which is right on the beach. And if you've ever seen videos of 747 KLM 747s landed and you're on the beach and it's maybe 20 feet over your head it, it, are the tires or you people will line up at the end of the runway when a 747 takes off and you just get blasted in the, so they have all these videos like this, but there was one little video and, you know, trying to show it up for Matt right there, but that's just a picture nice. of Istanbul. That's Istanbul from like, you know, 10,000 feet. And, and so they have all these videos. I get sucked into it. I mean, here's one where you've got a video landed and you can see sort of the humidity. You see the, the trail vapor and stuff off the side. So Aviator Zone is my go-to Instagram account these days because I, I'm fascinated by all these videos. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm trying to see if I can find one that I could pull up that, and I and I can't even remember the one it was. But there's one that I see that just kind of keeps showing like, like the the account is about like, um, like Earth Picks, you know? Oh yeah. And Earth Picks has always some really amazing sites but there's like another one where it's like they're wonderlust that's the name of the site wonderlust and they have and i'm trying to see if i can find the wonderlust one that i had that was yeah just i mean like I'm, I'm looking at earth picks right now and there's this scene from italy where you're like walking across the side of a mountain and there's just this like handrail you know, bolted into the side of the mountain and you're just over a ravine and it's gorgeous. I just found, this is the one, this one like got me like, how on earth are you doing this? You must be unbelievably confident that you can ride a bicycle on a trail because you know, I, I can't do it. I cannot do this. Oh yeah. I've, and, I've and seen that elsewhere, but yeah. It's the guys are riding the bike basically on a mountain trail that borders the sea. And it's literally like if you hit the wrong rock, you are tumbling. Uh, it looks like feet a thousand death. feet to your death, yeah. you know, and you can see the water beside you and they're navigating the twists and turns of this trail. It is a gorgeous trail, gorgeous view. But no, I'm not even sure I would 
I, I think I'd be walking through the woods. I don't even know if I'd yeah. be walking on the trail. You well, know. I mean, I, the fear of flying, the fear of heights, like I already put up the holiday lights and we have this like very sort of steep roof over our garage and it's maybe at its peak, like 20 feet. And I have to like sit on my butt and like inch, literally inch from like the window where I get onto the roof all the way to the edge to like string the lights. And I have to like have the earbuds in. I'm listening to the Rocky soundtrack. Like, <laughs> so something like that. I mean, forget the woods. Like I'm not getting out of the bus. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, it's gorgeous, but man, I would love to have the mindset to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I am extremely yeah. envious of people that don't have the like fear of heights that I do because yeah. you can just go do stuff like that and it doesn't bother you. Meanwhile, yeah. I'm still in the hotel room. I may be shark diving soon, but we'll see. I know you've mentioned that. That's what that's what yeah. your bucket list is. Uh, I may get a chance to do that. I think my daughter wow. wants to do it and we may get nice. a chance to visit her. So we may get to do that. But um, all right, final question. Turkey day scenario you would enjoy. We're going to rank these most to least, okay? Um, most to least. The first one is Bill Belichick saying the Thanksgiving blessing at your family table. Marshawn Lynch helping you with the cooking. Steve Smith getting into an argument with a problem relative. <laughs> um, Joe Buck getting kicked in the nuts by the precocious kid in your family who does shit that needs to be punished, but you can't help but laugh on the inside. Again, I, I reiterate why I love doing this show because this is another <laughs> thing that kept me up all night. Um, all right, so most to least, most easy, like like lap in the field, Marshawn Lynch with the cooking. All right. Really? Marshawn is one of my favorite people on the planet, like hands down. And the video of him and Sherman, like where they were talking on the sidelines, and it was right before Thanksgiving, and, and Sherman comes over. It's clear at the end of the game. Marsh Marshawn's already eating the Skittles. And he's like, What are you doing for Christmas? He's like, Christmas. I get through Thanksgiving first. I'm gonna be helping out. I'm gonna get out turkeys in the hood. And Sherman's like, "Yeah, I'll come with you." He's like, "Yeah, you, you, man, I'm gonna be helping my community." Like, it's just a great moment. So Marshawn with the cooking, I, that's easily number one. Number two is Steve Smith. I mean, you and I have talked about our <laughs> shared love of Steve Smith yeah. a number of times offline this season. So Steve Smith getting in an argument over God knows what at the dinner table, I think would be fantastic. Number three is Belichick doing, you know, the, the blessing at the table because it's going to be literally like we're on to Turkey. Like that's what he'll say. And I'll like grumble it, um, say something about like candy corn or something like that. So, <laughs> and last is Joe Buck getting kicked in the nuts because, and this might be a bit of a shock to people. I like Joe Buck. There I appreciate Joe Buck. I, I love it when he does games. He gets you that, that, that big game moment. It's like, you know, when you heard Summerall and Madden, you're like, this is a big game. Now, it might just be like, you know, the five and five Giants against the five and six Cowboys. But you were like, this is a big game. You hear Joe Buck, it is a big game. And he can go from baseball to football, like midseason. I I'm always impressed by that. His call uh, of Edelman is like, there are calls of his that are seared into my memory. You know, David Ortiz goes yard in game four of the 2004 ALCS. And we'll see you tomorrow and we'll see you later tonight. Because there was a game that ended after midnight and they would be playing again that night, seared into my brain. And that's a catch. Oh, that's a catch of the Edelman catch against Atlanta, where he just plucks the ball with his fingers off the turf. So I'm a big Joe Buck guy. So I wouldn't want to see him get kicked in the nuts. See, there you go. And and you know, this is an interesting question for me, and I love your takes with it. Because 
Joe Buck for me, like I respect what he does when he stays within his lane. When he starts getting church lady with Randy Moss, that's when you right, lose right, me. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, you know, at that if 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 we could replay the church lady moment and then have the kid kick him in the nuts, then I would be okay. That okay, would, I, that I can would be see that. that would be that's like a I, that act. would yeah, that would really. probably be like that would probably be like second or third on my list if it were given that. But considering that it's not like that important to me, it's let's see, it's it's third or fourth, you know, and it depends because see, Marshawn Lynch helping me with the cooking. If Marshawn Lynch and if we have like if we have a really banging Chinese um, restaurant available to us in case the everything goes Lynch awry go because of Marshawn Lynch and I cutting up trying to cook in the, yeah. in the kitchen because I Fair. would get distracted probably yeah. and the food be ruined and we'd have to go get takeout. So yeah. as long as that option's available, then that would be number one by far. If not, it's at the bottom of the list. Um, <laughs> we don't have any alternatives. <laughs> so that, that gives me Bill Belichick saying the Thanksgiving blessing at my table. Um, or Steve Smith getting in the argument with my problem relative. I, I, I would absolutely be Steve Smith getting yeah. in an argument with my problem relative. And in my family, it would be fun to have Steve Smith over because he's a truth teller. And a lot of my family that I enjoy being with the most are truth tellers. Oh, so boy. this would be a, we would be laughing because Steve Smith would probably get made fun of probably just as much at the end as he would be like telling people their business. And next thing you know, somebody probably be telling him about some of the crazy stuff that he did that, right. you know, and, but they do it in a way where he'd probably be laughing about it. So I think we'd have a good time with Steve Smith. So oh, absolutely. So hopefully y'all had a good time. And that you, you know, and enjoyed listening to this, whether it's before on your drive to your family's house for Thanksgiving Day or after Thanksgiving or, or if you know, you've snuck away for a, a, a much needed cigarette break from the family. And that's when you're sneaking the show in <laughs> all those things. Yeah, yeah all those books, that's yeah, all those things. I, I'll tell you this, Mark, we are going off the turkey ranch this Thanksgiving. Are you? Yes, we I have a, we have a friend coming over who's just you know a, a very good friend of ours and he's he was like you know we he was like I'm you know he wasn't going to travel see family so he was kind of like I'm open to to you know hanging out for Thanksgiving and I really didn't feel like cooking and my yeah. you know and so I just decided I made the audible and I said all right so if I could order Cat's Deli and have it shipped wow. and have it shipped as a Thanksgiving meal. Would you, would you be good with that? And the, the answer was overwhelmingly positive. So cat's oh, deli is in the mail. We are having pastrami and corned beef and, and soup and knishes and babka and, oh, man. and all of that stuff. So that sounds fantastic. Yeah, so man, that's enjoy. A, yeah. I appreciate that. So, um, you know, we don't, we can't have Mark's cooking. So if we had Mark, the Mark, Mark's cook, because we can't have Mark's cooking. We got the next best thing. So oh, there you go. So, well, there that's, you go. so that's where we're going. But hope you guys have great Thanksgiving. Get a chance to enjoy family. And if you can't get a chance to enjoy family, hopefully get to enjoy friends. And if you don't get to do that, then I hope you get to enjoy some football. Um, and maybe you get to enjoy all three, which would be like yep. the trifecta. Be fantastic. And we will see you guys next week here at the RSP cast. Um, quick game and you can find us on all the outlets rate and review if you'd like give us feedback you can email me at mattwaldmanrsp at gmail.com 
and uh, have a good week.